You probably have heard the name of Michael Franzese, or Franzese, you may have heard it pronounced that way as well. I've always heard it and pronounced it Franzese. Maybe you've even read some of his other books, From the Godfather to God the Father, Quitting the Mob, uh, I'll Make You an Offer You Can't Refuse, uh, Blood Covenant, all of these books by Michael Franzese. And you're saying, okay, what about him? Who is he? Well, if you don't know, just super quick, Michael Franzese was born into the mafia life as a second-generation member of the Colombo crime family, called one of the biggest mob earners since Al Capone by Vanity Fair, and uh, featured in Fortune's list of the 50 most powerful mafia bosses. Uh, he left the mob, and that life, rather, after meeting his wife and serving a 10-year prison sentence, and today he is sharing everything he learned from organized crime with audiences around the world. He mentors at-risk youth, which is amazing. And his latest book is called Mafia Democracy, How Our Republic Became a Mob Racket. Yeah, I think a lot of us have actually kind of compared the federal government to uh, to the mafia, and Michael has done so in this book. It's got a forward by former uh, New York mayor and presidential candidate Rudy Giuliani, and he joins us now, does Michael Franzese, to talk about uh, all of this. Uh, Michael, thank you for making time for us this morning. How are you, sir? I'm good. Thanks for having me. You know, I want to start just with a little bit of your background before we get into this comparison, which I find fascinating to uh, you know to the, the federal government to the mafia. Um, I, I saw an interview you did on YouTube actually as I was kind of prepping for our conversation today, and I don't know that I heard it necessarily explained this way or not. But the comparisons to Michael Corleone and the and the Godfather, um, you you referenced them. You said a lot of people have said that, but I don't know that I ever got the answer. Was the character? based on the life of Michael Franzese? No, I don't believe so. I think it was a coincidence, uh, you know, that there are all those similarities. I mean, I got into the life um, not because I wanted that life or because I was I was uh, raised for that life, but really to help my dad out. And, uh, you know, he had gotten a 50-year prison sentence, which was essentially a death sentence, and I was going to be a doctor. I was in pre-med school when my dad went off to do that time. And I got drawn into the life by Joe Colombo at that point, really to help my dad, because he would have he would have died in prison if we didn't help him out. And, uh, you know, obviously the godfather, uh, Michael Corleone, got into the life because his father was, you know, there's an attempted assassination. He got drawn in. And so those similarities uh, occur all the time. And because his name is Michael, my name is Michael, uh, I've heard that all my life. But uh, I think... It's just a coincidence. Okay. I appreciate that. And it is this coincidence is amazing. The similarities are, are, are considerable between you two. So so people who do make that connection are not necessarily wrong. It's just not necessarily one that's based on the other. So having said that, can you just tell me a little bit more? And again, this is only because I found it fascinating when I was watching you on in a different interview um, about your dad's role. I mean, what what was his I think you described him from what I remember. Uh, as being somebody who was all in on that lifestyle, unapologetic about it. This is who I am. This is what I do. Uh, and obviously it cost him uh, 50 years of his life or or more. Uh, and, and then you were drawn to it. So tell me what your dad's role was and why you were, quote, unquote, drawn to it by him. Well, my dad was the underboss of the Colombo family, which is, you know, a very powerful position. It's the second in command of the family. And aside from that, my dad was a, a very well-respected, charismatic figure in that life. You know, he, he was well-liked and he was, uh, you know, well-looked upon for, you know, his service in that life, I would say. He was totally committed and uh, he did a lot of work for the family. You know, he's, he was uh, present in at least one of the wars that we had um, in the Colombo family. And my dad was a prominent figure uh, at, at that time. 
he was also, you know, a major target of law enforcement. Uh, he was kind of like the John Gotti of his day in terms of law enforcement, excuse me, law enforcement investigations and media attention. And so, uh, you know, very high profile. And he was also a good father. I loved him very much. He was, uh, was a great husband to my mother. And, and um, so I looked up to him and uh, in a way I idolized him. So when he, you know, got into all the trouble that he got into in the 60s, he was indicted three times in the state of New York, went to trial three times, was acquitted each time. And then, uh, you know, he was uh, indicted in this federal case for masterminding a nationwide string of bank robberies, which until this day, I'll, I'll take this to my grave, it was a frame up. My dad was no bank robber. And that's what, uh, you know, drew me more to wanting to help him out when he got a 50-year prison sentence. Because he was 50 when he went in. You figure he had 50 on top of that. My dad would never come out of prison alive. So at that time, you know, Joe Colombo, who was the boss of the family, and I was very close with, started this Italian-American Civil Rights League. I got drawn into that. I saw it as a way to help my dad. And, uh, you know, before I know it, my dad proposed me for membership in the life. So that's that's kind of the, you know, brief uh, description of how this thing all started with me. Is that something, Michael, that you just cannot walk away from? If somebody proposes you for membership, you can't say, yeah, thanks, I'm good. You, there's just no choice. No, you can walk away. I mean, look, I could have said, Dad, this is not for me. I don't want to do it. Um, but, you know, look, I saw it as a way to help him out. And like I said, I loved him. I was very loyal to my dad. So whatever direction he pointed me in that he thought would be helpful uh, to get him out of that sentence, uh, I was willing to do. Uh, you know, I asked no questions. I said, Dad, if this is what you want, you know, just point me in that direction. I'm I'm ready to go. A little earlier on in my program, uh, Michael Franzese, this morning, I, I was teasing the interview and promoting it, and I and I and I mistakenly and erroneously called you a hitman and uh, and a killer. Um, you know, and I, and I think sometimes we romanticize in some ways mafia figures like Sammy the Bull Gravano, who's out there, who's doing a lot of interviews as well. And, you know, he was those things. You were not an enforcer, though. You were an earner, right? That was your number one role in the Colombo family is you were somebody who generated revenue and profits for the family. You weren't somebody who was going out there and, and committing the violent acts that uh, that the mafia is known for, right? No, you, you know, I want to be clear on this because I, I never want to be misleading on it. Look, when when you become a made man in that life, you're, you're part of that life. You know, you got to do what you're told. And unfortunately, you know, there are times when there's, there's violence involved in the life, and it's inescapable. Okay. Um, so I want to be clear on that. However, you're right in that, you know, you, you kind of have two levels of people there. One, maybe being the gangster that's just a street guy that does a lot of that heavy work, so to speak. And then you have the racketeer type who's there to earn money for the family because without without money, you know, you, you don't have an organization. And so I was fortunate. I knew how to use that life to benefit me in business, and I had created some new things, developed new things for the family, and as a result made a, you know, a very significant amount of money. So that's kind of the path that I was on. That's where they wanted to keep you. You know, they don't, they don't want to. They don't want to jeopardize guys that are earning big for the family, and I, I was in that category, yes. Okay, and and that's good for the sake of that clarity. I appreciate that. You know, um, a, a couple of weeks ago I interviewed Bill O'Reilly about his uh, latest book and his killing series called Killing the Mafia. And, uh, you know, he was talking about, uh, obviously, the, the five families and many of the things you were involved in and the and, and, People listened to that, and they told me that they're fascinated by it. I used the word a moment ago with you, romanticizing. It's so funny how, and funny in an odd way, not a, not a hilarious way, but, um, 
you know, the people who are terrified by some of the things that the mob could do to victimize people uh, during that heyday, you know, now those of us who weren't look back at it with almost some sort of a, wow, that's really neat. That is it true that that when you're growing up, not you in particular, because you explained your situation, you were on your way to medical school and you decided you had to help your dad. But did a lot of the people who join it look at it like this is almost like the the coolest click that you can be, be involved with? You're, you're going to live a life where people fear you. Nothing is out of your reach because it seems like the romanticization of the mafia is what's happened through the decades since it was essentially wiped out. Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, look, I, I speak to young people all the time. You know, I do just part of what I do. I, I go into prisons, juvenile halls. I speak with these gangbangers. And, and to a, a person, every one of them, gosh, Michael, you know, I saw you in Goodfellas. You know, you, you guys had the cars. You had the women. You had the respect. You dressed up nice. You know, you had the power. And it's it's tremendously uh, intoxicating for these younger people. And, uh, and, you know, that's why they get into the life. You know, a lot of times they'll tell me, you know, they'll talk about the movies. And I'll say, Michael, you know, Goodfellas, Godfather, and you guys had it all. I said, yeah, but did you watch the end of the movie? Who got killed? Who went to jail? Who lost their family? They don't see that part. They only see the romantic part of that life. You know, I'll tell you something, too, that was kind of fascinating to me. I have a YouTube channel. I do a lot of you know, stories and things. And uh, just two weeks ago, I read an article about uh, Lake Mead in Vegas, that uh, it's receding a bit. And it was a dumping ground, quite honestly, for the mob, you know, way back when, you know, and and there's uh, some, some drum barrels with bodies in it that came up as a result of the lake receding. And within, oh gosh, within three or four days, I got a half a million views on it. And it was one of the fastest, uh, you know, views that I, I mean, I got, you know, I get a lot of views, but that was so quick. And I was saying, wow, look at the fascination people have with something like this. You know, how do you explain it? It's got to be, you know, the romanticization of that life through Hollywood, through the media. Uh, you know, there's, there's no other explanation for it. And you know what? You're, you're right. I had not heard of it, so I'm glad to know of it because I'm going to go watch it now because I'm like everybody else. I'm drawn to this because it's a fascinating time in American history and the lives you led, knowing that the the end of that life might be extraordinarily violent. You don't know when it's coming. You don't know when your you know your ticket's going to be punched and that sort of thing. So it's uh, it, it really is. And and I'm glad you brought up what you did when you talk about young people. Do do you see younger modern day gangs? as emulating in any way the type of gangs that the five families were, or is it a different type of criminal organization? Well, you know, I see these kids, uh, you know, a lot of them, unfortunately, because of the way they were brought up, many of them in, you know, single-parent homes, and they're on the street in an early age, they, they don't have a lot of value for human life. And I've noticed that. And it's, it's very, very sad. It really is. But, you know, in our life, in, in Cousin Austria Mafia, I want to explain this. You know, murder, some people think that when you take the oath of omerta, that you take an oath to you know, lie, steal, cheat, and kill. And that's not it at all. You know, the, the oath of omerta means simply that you'll never reveal that the life even exists, and you'll never betray the life. Now, as a result of being part of that life, yes, those other things happen. But that's not part of the oath. And why I'm saying that, because murder in that life was taken very seriously, believe it or not. I mean, it was discussed if somebody violated the oath in some way or made a mistake that, you know, you, that would result in serious consequences. It was discussed, uh, and only the boss can make that decision. 
whether or not somebody, you know, had to go. Um, on the street now with these kids, it's it's totally different. I mean, I mean, I had a 12 year old come up to me once when I did a, a speaking engagement at a, at a, you know, a, a juvenile hall. I was signing books for him. He was 12 years old, and he comes up to me and he looks me in the eye and I said, "What are you here for?" And he kind of looked down, you know, and I said, "Hey, when somebody's asking you a question, look in their eyes. I want an answer. What are you here for?" He just looks at me nonchalantly and he says, well, "I killed somebody." And that's 12 years old. It didn't even bother him, you know, because I got into it a little bit with him. We talked about it. And that's just sad. I mean, that's just sad. And, and I've, I've seen that in many instances throughout these years that I've been working with. It's, it's, it's terrible. So do they try to pattern themselves again? I don't think so. I mean, you know, they just – we were very organized, very structured. It's why, that you know, we had such a dominance in this country for so many years. Uh, but these kids are just they're just wild, I have to tell you, wild, and they don't have a value of human life. It's very sad. You know, when you talk about value, valuing human life, um, I, I have to ask this question, and I apologize. I could I could do this for, for hours to talk to you about the life and the things that you've experienced, but I want to get to your book. But just one last question about that, about the value of human life. One thing that always fascinated me whenever I would watch mob movies, uh, you know, portrayals of things, whether it be Goodfellas, whether it be Casino or, or Donnie Brasco, any of them, or even, even uh, 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 what's the one, uh, A Bronx Tale, killers who kill and and are just as ruthless and as vicious and as violent and they'll torture you know uh, uh, enemies and all of the things and yet they they always make the sign of the cross they're always <laughs> devout roman catholics because italian you know italian americans you know i mean the roman catholicism is is in the blood and it's in the families and it's amazing to me how they can do terrible horrific ruthless things to people and then bless themselves as if god's good with me and i'm good with god as long as i say a prayer and do a little confession and do a little sign of the cross now and then that's just always been a fascinating um element of all of this to me yeah and obviously it's it's uh... It's there's, there's something insane about that, I would say, because it, it doesn't blend into our life at all. And it, but you're right. I mean, it's the Catholic upbringing, and, and I, I don't know what motivates them to do something like that. And look, in that life, I, I don't want to sugarcoat anything. There are some guys that just uh, they're ruthless. There's no question about it. I mean, they, you know, they get off on on doing those kind of acts. And uh, you know, the sign of the cross, I can't, I don't know how to respond to that, but it, it certainly doesn't blend in with, I mean, I'm I, br- I bring it up only, I bring it up, Michael, only because you're a man of faith now. And again, one of your books, uh, from God, uh, from the Godfather to God the Father, you are a man of faith and you are, you know, you are obviously repentant for all of the terrible things that you were once involved in. And, and I'm just wondering, do any of those individuals, while they're in it, actually think that they are repenting by, by blessing themselves or going to a confession once in a while? Well, uh, what the, what the connection there is? You know, they might be kidding themselves. I don't. I never got into that kind of discussion with anyone, so I can't answer that honestly. But it's 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 very ironic. I can tell you that. Got it. Yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate your honesty with that. Now, I apologize for all of that historical stuff, but it's fascinating to a lot of people. Now, let's talk about something else that's fascinating. This comparison in a mafia democracy, how our republic became a mob racket, comparison essentially of the way the government is run in this country to the mafia. I, I don't have time for a ton of specifics, but can you give me a thumbnail sketch of what you were trying to say in this book, Michael? Yeah, you know, I noticed long ago, I really started paying attention to uh, to politics. I mean, really paying attention. 
you know, during the Obama years, maybe a little bit before that with Bush, but really during the Obama years. And as I watched, I just, <clears throat> I just saw the, you know, the Machiavellian ideology that existed in government. And of course, you know, I, I don't know if you know this, but Machiavelli in the book, The Prince, it's almost required reading, you know, for mob guys when we go into prison. So I had that ideology. I agreed with a lot of things at the time that uh, Machiavelli said. And, you know, I started seeing that, you know, in great detail in our government. And it's wrong. I mean, you know, people have said to me so often, you know, Mike, the, the mob should be running the government. I said, no, 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 the mob should not be running the government. That's not what it's all about. And so I started to dig into it a little bit more. And to me, it's, it's become even more prominent. And it's dangerous. And it's something that people have to be aware of. You know, Machiavelli, one of the things, uh, one major point in his ideology when he was advising the prince how to maintain control of his kingdom, he told the prince, he said, you can do anything you need to do. You can lie, steal, cheat, you can kill to maintain power. However, to the outside world, you must always appear to be upright, honest, and having integrity. And I see that in so many of our politicians. He also said, you know, the promise made um, was a necessity of the past. A promise broken is a necessity of the, of the present. And uh, we see this all the time. And, you know, more and more and more. So when I wrote the book, I really wanted just to alert people. And I went into very, very specific. I mean, this is not a fluff piece or anything else. I did a lot of research. I put a lot of examples. Some people I put on the spot, but it's true. It's all backed up. You know, why are politicians going as, as blue-collar uh, blue assets? They come out multimillionaires. You know, they use the system to, to uh, uh, you know, attain wealth that they're not supposed to be getting. You know, I, I put so many examples here. And really, the reason I wrote the book, I want to make this clear. I'm not looking for people to protest in the street. I'm against violence of, of any kind when it comes to these matters. But they got to be aware, and they got to hold these people accountable. You know, I say this all the time. You have a partner, you have a friend, he lies to you once, uh, okay, you get over it. Second time, gets a little bit more intense. Third, fourth, fifth time, you know, you, you want nothing to do with them anymore. Our politicians lie to us, you know, make campaign promises that they break or disregard or totally reverse, and we say, ah, oh, it's politics. But it's not politics, it's lying, and it's deceit, and it's and it's hurtful to the people that they're putting office to uh you know, to support and defend, and it's wrong. And all I'm saying in this book is we got to recognize it, and we got to hold these people accountable. And when they don't do the right thing, we got to throw them out. Period. We're talking, and uh, we're, you know, I'm, I'm very pleased and very satisfied because you know the book did hit the bestsellers list on Amazon and and uh, Barnes and Noble in different categories. And but more importantly to me, the comments that I'm reading, people are getting it. They're understanding it. They're seeing it. They're saying, Michael, my eyes are open. And that's what I wanted to achieve in the book. And it looks like it's happening. Well, you know what? I'm so very happy for you that it is. And uh, and I want to recommend this to as many people as possible. I've only gotten the Cliff Notes version of it, if you will, to have this conversation. But I want to learn more and then maybe even talk to you again about, you know, about some of the similarities in the way the, the way that it is run. And, uh, and you're exactly right, by the way, with some of the very evil, dirty, underhanded, in fact, maybe even violent things that happen behind the scenes. But as long as they put up that right facade, uh, the people will be none the wiser and they will continue to support them. 
them. So it's a, it's a fascinating uh, concept and, uh, and a great comparison. And I want to recommend it to people. Again, Mafia Democracy, How Our Republic Became a Mob Racket by Michael Franzis. It's his latest. Uh, Michael, thank you for sharing so much about your past, your history, your experiences here, and, uh, and, and uh, continued success to you and the best of luck to you with this book. Yeah, I appreciate that, and, and anytime you want to do it again, you know, I'm a call away. So thank you very I'm gonna, much. I'm going to hold you to that. Just be aware. I'm going to hold you to that, and I look forward to it. You thank got you, it. Sir. God bless. Well, All right, there you go. That's Michael Franzese. I don't know if I didn't plan, I don't think, in my career that I would ever tell somebody who is a long-time, many decades mafia uh, captain, God bless. I didn't think I'd ever do that. I mean, telling God bless to somebody in that in that realm, but he is obviously... Uh, become a very, very different man since he walked away from that life. And now he's trying to keep young kids on the straight and narrow as well. So I will stand by that. God bless. And I will ask you to stand by as we take our news and come right back on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 